Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more info about Freedom Church, visit hellofreedomchurch.com. Again, it's wonderful having all of you here today. Thank you so much. And again, just to extend our welcome to our family in Crookston. Love you guys. And it's so great to know that we're just joining together one church. We meet in a couple different locations, but together. And then as well, all of, all of our online family across this area and really throughout, throughout this nation. This is now the fifth week that we've been talking about giants still fall and they still fall. Uh, this is the last one. Okay, so next week, really excited about this. I don't think I'll give much of a precursor to what we're going to head next week, but uh, encourage you to come back, a whole different uh, series of sermons. Giant Still Falls, based on uh, the story of David and Goliath, and over these last weeks, we've really dug deep into this story. As you've heard me say probably every Sunday, and that is that all of us face giants, What's a giant? A giant is something in our life that we really can battle with. It can be, it can be maybe a, an emotion of fear or anxiety or loneliness. And it's this huge thing that just hovers over our life. It could be an addiction, whether it's alcohol, whether it's eating, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex. I don't know what it may be, but just this thing that we continue to bow before like all the time. It could be maybe areas we've talked about this and I shared personally just uh, feelings of deep insecurity. Others may struggle with disappointment, maybe discouragement, despair, even depression. Those kinds of feelings, what happens? They make us feel just overwhelmed. Like life seems so big. Feelings of sadness and gloom and despair. And think of David who killed Goliath with a slingshot. This guy, I mean, nearly 10 feet tall, right? And David, this I always picture him as being 17 years old, 17-year-old teenager that picks up a slingshot, of all things, with five rocks and uses one of them and kills Goliath. I mean, he just, he kills him. I kind of think that's reason to celebrate the rest of your life. Like, if you do that, why would you ever get down or discouraged? You just killed, like, Goliath. But, but I read in Psalms 42.5, David says, why am I so discouraged and why is my heart so sad? This was after he had killed Goliath. Why am I so discouraged and why is my heart so sad? In Psalm 69, he writes and says, listen to these words, save me, O God, because the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I cannot find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen from weeping, waiting for God to help me. That doesn't really sound like a giant killer, does it? In fact, many biblical scholars, I haven't made the determination, and I'll leave that up to you, but many biblical scholars believe that David battled depression. And again, I'm not making that statement today. You study scripture. You can study you know, the Old Testament and certainly the Psalms to determine that for yourself. Uh, I was recently, Mary and I were in a bookstore uh, buying some, some uh, 
presents and books for the grandkids. And, and I, I came across a Newsweek article that was sitting right by the, the, the cash register. And it, said, it stated this, uh, talked about the symptoms and said the symptoms of anxiety and mental health disorders tripled between 2019 and 2020. That the symptoms of anxiety and mental health within a one-year period tripled in the United States in large part, obviously, due to the pandemic. Lockdown, social distancing, working from home, as well as health concerns, have weighed very heavy on many, many people's hearts. According to this article, the number of people reporting symptoms of anxiety and depression rose 270% from 2019 to 2021. The symptoms of anxiety and depression rose 270% within that two-year period. And so I... That, that's, that's big, guys. That's significant, isn't it? And I think sometimes as a church, we say, well, we're not going to really talk about that. You know, maybe you just need to pray a little bit more, uh, whatever the little, quick little cliches is that we can give to it. And so from the very beginning, from weeks before we ever even started this series of sermons, I really felt laid in my heart to tackle in one Sunday to talk about this thought of depression from a biblical perspective, from a biblical perspective, how, if it's, it's real, I like to, to, to engage those discussions. And so I want to just take a few moments today to talk about anxiety and, 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 and depression. And I'll be really honest, I don't know a lot about this topic, but I'm really glad there are people that do. And so really to help us to understand this topic of depression, anxiety, those thoughts, I've really asked a member of Freedom Church, the body. I love to turn to the body to be able to do this. And so uh, I'm going to invite Stefan CA to join me today. So could we just welcome Stefan? Thank you so much. Thank you, Stefan, for joining us today. Can I be honest with you? You know what's really neat? This morning, I got up, and I called Stefan, and I say, Stefan, what do you want to wear today? And so we said, <laughs> so we said let's, let's wear our gray shirts, our jeans, and our pants. And he said, that's a great idea. So anyway. So. They didn't realize men do that. I know. They didn't realize men do that. So no, I, just, I, I, I just thought I'd throw that out there, Stefan. So everybody that. Stefan, thank you for just being willing to share with us today. Thank you for and I really, really appreciate that. And just being such, we just love having you and your family a part of, of the Freedom family. And, and uh, I don't know a lot about this whole topic. And, and I know you'll tell us a little bit about your experience. But maybe, first of all, maybe you could tell us just a little bit about yourself uh, so we can get to know you, know you just a little bit anyway. Yes, you bet. So um, I'm a farm boy, farm boy raised in western North Dakota. And uh, yeah, so. <laughs> um, Big was, fans here, I can tell. Yeah, I can tell. It was a great delight to be raised out there. And um, my mom and dad were divorced when I was six years old, and we moved. We moved from Montana and uh, a little town out in, in the western part of Montana. We moved to the family farm, my mom's parents, my maternal grandparents in Western North Dakota. And um, that was when I was six. I ended up just loving the farm. There was something about farm life that just fit me well. I think it was the freedom of being able to be out on the prairie and uh, all of those kinds of things. I loved 
agriculture, I loved animals, all of those kinds of things. So I grew up there and then um, ended up going to, got to be careful with this one, NDSU. Wow. <laughs> I was an animal science major at NDSU. I got to be careful because my kids were UND um, students. They, they, they were, need missionaries down there. Though, they too, do, they? that's right. <laughs> yes. And um, uh, so um, about my third year, junior year of college, I was hijacked by Jesus and um, mm. became a missionary and uh, started uh, my missions career back in, in 1979. That'll, that'll definitely kind of put a time frame on how old I am. And um, so um, as, as I moved into the missions work, um, my wife and I met in 1985, and we married in 86, so 36 years. Oh. We, had three, we have three children, uh, two boys and a girl. Two are here, uh, Bryn, with his spouse, Cor. We have two grandchildren, uh, Hadley and Riley, and then Elise, who's been here a number of years. And so, and Lorena's here, obviously, too. That's awesome. Stefan, so you're a therapist. I am. Maybe you can tell us just a little bit about that uh, yeah. counselor and, and kind of what that what that's looked like over the years. Yeah, uh, funny stories. Uh, you would not have <laughs> animal science major from NDSU. How did how did I become a therapist? But I have been a therapist for close to thirty years. First uh, four or five years, um, it was overlap with our missions work. We we were missionaries. What brought us up here actually. To, um, to Grand Forks was uh, the campus, UND campus. We were mission, we were missionaries on campus. Just a little closer. Okay. We were missionaries on campus there. And uh, we were there eight, eight years, and then um, 18 years total, but eight years at UND. There was a little overlap, and then the last 26, we've been with Northland Christian Counseling mm. Center. So. Wow, wow, I know. Uh, I shared this last week as well. I've been on the board for the Northland Christian Counseling Center here in Grand Forks for five years uh, and have another year left. And I tell you, it's an amazing, it's an amazing organization. We just really Thank love you. it. Stefan has been leading that for 24 years. Uh, 25, last summer was 25. 25. I'm and in semi retirement now. And, and now has kind of retired, but Kind of retired, uh, I yeah, guess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I know that uh, you're definitely a follower of Jesus, Stefan, and uh, it's so wonderful to have a, such a deep faith. And I know that the Counseling Center obviously is uh, a center that centers around faith. Could you tell us just a little bit about the significance of that? What does that mean? Yes, well, it is truly the core and the anchor of, of who I am as a person as I do my counseling work, um, as we do our counseling work at Northland. Um, it is the core of our work. I was thinking about, Nathan had mentioned a couple questions that he would be asking, and like, what is the, the, the anchor? Uh, what, is, what is two huge pieces that make us Christian counselors versus a secular counselor? But um, I think there would be, the, the first thing would definitely be that there's something of a design that we always sort of adhere to. Um, what does that mean? It means that there's a designer, and God has made a design. Human beings have a design 
And uh, the closer you are to that design, there's really good things that flow from that. And so design is a key component mm -hmm. of, of what we would um, adhere to there. The second thing is as we counsel people, the motivation would be different. We'd like to see people walk out of our doors being deeply motivated by love versus just the um, enforcement or strengthening of self. When you stop and think about it, somebody that walks into the counseling room has needs um, and usually those needs are connected with something that has to do with I'm, I'm motivated to see this change for what purpose and usually it's myself. Um, I'm strengthening something about the self. Let's say codependency, which is people pleasing. You know, you need to change, finish the sentence, you need to change for yourself. And there's something about that that has a, a bit of truth for sure, but there's also other component. It, it's not a big enough motivation. There's something about the great commandment at stake here. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the learning to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. So we don't want to forget that, but there's something more than just that. So those would be two huge things I think about. And I, I think that's really significant in that, in helping people. Ab absolutely. Yeah. So this thought of depression. I, I talked to Stefan some weeks ago, and I said, would you ever mind just sharing in the service? And I said, it's going to be like around 15 minutes on the thought of depression. <laughs> and that, that's kind of like, I don't know, that's kind of like funneling the ocean, you know, <laughs> through a garden hose. You know, how do you do that? So, so we'll, we'll, we'll do our best in the next few minutes. But, so Stefan, tell us, what, what's, what's, what yeah. is, what's depression? What yeah. is depression? And if I might have those um, graphics up on the board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, as you see the one on the left, the symptoms of depression. So there, there's just a little um, difference in how I have them in my notes and how they're up there, no problem. But um, I put symptoms of the symptom of depression. And uh, there's something very accurate to thinking of depression as a symptom and not the thing because depression has just all kinds of components related to that. There is a um, amalgamation of different desires and needs in, inside of our souls that create the perfect environment for, for depression to develop. And when a person is depressed, they'll have these symptoms as well, uh, anger, worry, guilt, helplessness, sadness, as it goes down that list. Those are all things I look at and look for as people walk in my office. I know as therapists, as we watch people walk in our office, and by the way, we use the word therapist, but if we're really super honest, what we're doing is discipleship. There's a, there's a kind of discipleship that's going on there. But as people walk in, our offices, we're, we're looking at those things, but those symptoms are telling us at a deeper level, okay, there's probably some depression 
But then below depression, there is a, a group of soulish things that have to be considered and got to and explored to really get to the core parts. Yeah, yeah. So what, I think that's awesome. So what you're saying is here's, here's depression, but then really that's a symptom of something deeper, it is. something else that's going on. Yeah. That's awesome. It is, yeah. And so um, I'm going to use a bit of my family history, my own personal history, to illustrate the point that we just made. And so, as I mentioned, um, my mom and dad were divorced when I was six years old. We did a move to western North Dakota. Um, I was the youngest of four siblings. Um, my mom um, and, and the rest of us were planted there the rest of our, our childhoods. Um, I have an older sister that's 18, and I was six, and two sisters in between. And uh, I'm going to talk about two quick stories here, if I might, that give a, a, a bit, probably the, just a, um, a good summary of how I think about my childhood in the area of depression. So as we moved and uh, ended up in uh, this, this great place that I just loved in some ways, for sure, Western North Dakota, that, that farmstead, my uh, grandparents were farms, uh, home, homesteaders from Norway, and um, they just loved being around them and all of that. Um, but uh, as, we, as we got there, I can remember it was June of 1963, there was an incident with oranges. <laughs> yes. And um, back in those days, traveling salesmen would drive around the community and they would sell crates of oranges. Some of you are old enough can maybe remember this. I don't know if you remember it. I, okay, I'm no, sorry, he's I, way I too young. Way too young. I'm much younger. But, but some of us remember it. And uh, you could buy 30, 40 pounds of oranges or whatever fruit. And um, the, um, as it was, my, um, we opened that crate up that my mom and grandmother bought that crate of oranges together. You could keep it back then in the root cellar, so it would last for a couple months. But they were very careful in how they doled those oranges out. And I can remember getting this orange and just scarfing it down. <laughs> and I wanted a second one. And my grandmother and mother had a bit of a tiff about that, and um, I remember feelings, the, the feeling that I had was, oh, wow, this is not going well, I don't like this, and I remember leaving that uh, conflict and going inside, and I was walking up the, the stairs, big two-story yellow farmhouse, walking up the stairs, looking through the banister, and my grandmother, my grandmother and mom had moved inside by then. And um, looking at her face, my grandmother's face, and it was, no, remember, six years old. So this was my interpretation, a look of disdain. And that was the beginnings of something. Don't, it, it was like this way for me. There's a hundred different ways things like this happen to people, other people. But for me, it was a, a small event like that that triggered something in me that said, I just can't be myself around here. Mm -hmm. And that carried through from that point. As I looked back into my life, I thought, where does this tendency 
for me to perform for love, where did that really start? And moods around our house, but also events. And that was one of the first events. I better be careful. I better mind my P's and Q's around this woman. Now, I just have to say in her defense, she may or may not have, but I interpreted it that way. These were a product of the 30s, and I grew up with, with uh, people that were very, very careful about their resources, etc. Fast forward about uh, 20 years, I was 24, so 18 years. Fast forward 20, 18 years, and um, I'm now a missionary, and I'm in a very difficult spot. I'm working for a very difficult man. And this man, I don't think it was just me, he had gone through a number of people, but I was his assistant. And um, I, I remember I was struck and kind of stunned by a self-realization one day that I had not been able to tell the man no, and that I had sort of lost my voice in speaking how I thought about things. I just obeyed. Part of that was how I was raised, authority figures, all of that. But part of it I could tell was I was performing for this guy. And I was in a deep depression by that time. In fact, I look back now and go, oh, that young man was completely depressed and burned out mm. by missions work. And um, there would have been two ways I would have wanted that situation handled, both as a young child and then growing up. The young child, I would have hoped that there would be an adult that could have stopped and said to the young boy, son, what is going on? What has this been like for you? And stayed with me and explored kind of my feelings um, of grief related to that. But there was nothing like that back in those days and even today. <laughs> feelings can be shunned as weak or unnecessary. Um, but as you fast forward that, I would wish for the same kind of person to be very helpful, weep with those who weep, kind of person for sure. But um, somebody that could have hung, hung in there with me as I was going through this depression when I was 24 and uh, been wise enough, good enough, caring enough to have been present with me as they went through that. But then also, if they had seen this part, and here's the part, Nathan, you said something. You said, we all want control. Well, what is a kind of a good little farm kid who seems pretty nice, how was he trying to control his situation? We all want to be the fourth member of the Trinity, is the way I say it. <laughs> and, um, uh, the, the way that I was doing that was I was just performing by obeying, by being nice. So uh, control doesn't have to look like mean, cranky folk. It can look like nice folk. And uh, if somebody had been wise enough to say, son, there's a need for repentance too. As you're depressed, for sure, we're victimized, and your victimization for the next 18 years kind of led you down paths of performing, and we're really sorry that happened, and I can get it. But then also, the flesh taking advantage of the victimization then became sort of a second nature to me to perform. And I really did need to, per, uh, I needed to um, um, 
a repent. <laughs> so that's an odd statement. In the middle of depression, I need to repent. But you see, you got to look at it as a holistic thing that kind of took place rather than just an event when I'm 24 and I have a mean boss, stand up to him. Why didn't I have what it took to do that? So that's what I would say in response to mm. um, a couple things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's really a big thing. Would you say that for you, and I'm sure it can be different, but just being somewhat disingenuous to yourself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boy, isn't that an interesting statement? So there's a way to strengthen self that is not good, but there's a, there's a way to reclaim dignity that's very good. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. Mm -hmm. A lot of symptoms of depression, different sources, I'm sure you've seen that over years. Correct. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking if there's family members, friends, what does that look like? Yeah. What, what, you know, what can we do to help them? What, yes, what, and what? so if you could put up the third... Yes, so some of you may have heard of a man named Tim Keller. And Tim, so what does this have to do with depression? <laughs> this looks like out in left field. What does this have to do with depression? A great deal. Tim Keller talks about something of the Godhead and what's going on in the Godhead. And in the Godhead, there's a kind of relational connectedness that is profound. It's, I'll put it like this, I'm going to summarize, and so it's not obviously, um, the summary has, is a bit uh, thin, it's not dense as it should be, but um, it's an um, absolute race to give to the other parts of the Godhead. It is a commitment, it's not just a commitment, it's a passion. The Father gives to the Son. The Son gives to the Father. The Father sends the Spirit. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. And on and on and on. Back in the day, the early church fathers and mothers would say that there's actually a word for that, as best they could describe it. They called it the perichoretic dance. Mm. Perichoresis means the dance of the Trinity. And there's something that's going on at this moment, a dynamic pulsing reality where God is giving himself to himself and to us and we're to give ourselves to him. So that kind of presence is built into our souls. Let us make man in our image, in the image of God who created them, male and female. Let us make man in our, in our image. So there's something about the image of God. We too are relational beings made to give at the deepest parts. And that kind of presence, long answer, <laughs> he asked me what. So the helper should be somebody that has that kind of attitude with another person. I will be present with you despite whatever cost that means to me is kind of how I would say it. Community. Yes, and so it'll, it'll eventually, in one huge statement, it's the kind of community from things like that, it's the kind of community that we're providing for one another that helps people walk through things like depression. And it's so incredibly important, the need of our souls is to be connected. Now all the scientific evidence, and I brought up uh, 
particular study saying that. I won't get into that. But even the, the secular sources realize that our brains and our souls are wired to be connected to others in this profound way. So I'm so fascinated that the literature of the secular community and the Christian community and the scriptures would all align to say it's, it's relationship and a certain kind of relationship and a certain kind of person within those relationships that help provide the environment for people to walk out of depression. Mm. That's amazing because I love to hear that because mm -hmm. that's what the church is, guys. It is. Yeah, that's, so, what, that's what the church is supposed to be. Yeah. So, because in depression, the thing that what I've noticed is like we want to pull away. Yes. People, people want to isolate, to, to pull away. Yes, isolation would be a yeah, part. Yeah, isolation is one of those to pull away. And I was thinking of the story of Elisha. You know, he, he fights, he challenges the 400 prophets, uh, right? If you know the story. And he wins, rains fire down. But the next day, he finds himself isolated Running. along the brook <laughs> Cherith. And what happens? I mean, as he's there, he says, I wish that I were dead. Yeah. But he's alone in isolation. He is. He is, yes. And um, I, I just love that statement. And then, but you've got to be a certain kind of person that's willing to receive help. So that's the other profound part of this, besides a community of people wanting to help, the community of people that are seeking help has to be a certain kind too. And here's the word I would put to it, humble. There has to be a humility that yeah, says, yeah. I need help. And um, tell your secrets, fight through your shame, offer yourself as I really need somebody and something right now. Those kinds of words would also describe the kind of person that needs to be able to ask and receive and be willing to receive help. Yeah, so good. So if we have somebody in our life that's struggling, rather than like pulling away, which would be terribly hurtful and exactly not what's necessary, but really to intentional about engaging them. Uh, yes. What kind of attitude? I mean, like, what would be the characteristics that we need to? I'm just like accepting. You know, yeah. I'm just wondering about mm -hmm. that. Yep, for sure. If you're a helper, then. A loving kind of presence, certain kind of person. Um, we have to be part of the dance, is what I have, for um, a wise presence. Um, so somebody that's willing to be really a listener would be one of the things that I would say we all embrace in many ways at Northland. It's like be quick to listen, slow to speak. There's something about hearing a person out, and you probably wouldn't hear that necessarily the first 10 times. So there's a lot of sitting and listening, kind of a wise presence that way, a discernment, kind of the discernment of biological needs. There is really a place for medication. I think one time, probably back in the day when I first started, it's like, well, if you're spiritual enough, you should probably not have to do that. Um, I, I, I really I missed that part, and uh, that came to me a little more slowly that now there really is biological realities here that have to be addressed as well. And then timing. 
There's something about timing, Ephesians 4.29 says, but only what is helpful according to their need that it might benefit those that listen. So somebody may need, just need to talk and talk for a period of time before they're open to any helpful kind of um, address to the issue. Hmm. So those would be a few of the things, main things. Awesome. And if we ourselves are struggling in that area, again, the tendency may well to be to isolate, but really to, to, to lean away from that, but to engage in community. Yes, for sure. Nathan, that's yeah. a huge deal. Fight your way through to one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That's awesome, Stefan. Again, I know for you, uh, Stefan is one that has real, I think all the counselors, great giftings in the area of just walking people through. Uh, thank you for sharing. I know this is just kind of like dancing on the surface just a little <laughs> bit. Is. Anything else you just would just share with us today, um, Stefan? So in the, in the words of a famous therapist that came before me, no. <laughs> I had to say that, Renee. <laughs> I think that's all. <laughs> Can we show appreciation to Stefan for sharing with us today? Thank you. Thank you. And I feel like I need to apologize a little bit to Stefan because, like, the task I've asked is just near, nearly insurmountable, you know, again, because of the, how, how, how big the whole subject is. But I, I love that thought of just leaning into community. As I read through those statistics, it's like, it, it's, it's really significant. But you know what's really exciting, though, is that God is really bringing people and really healing people in this area. In fact, tonight at Eye Encounter... Uh, there is a college student that's going to share a testimony that was, in, was just struggling with paralyzing, paralyzing anxiety. Uh, Pastor Jared will be here tonight and just having a, a moment just to, to uh, interview and talk with her about her testimony. But God miraculously just intervened and really ministered and really completely brought healing to her. Uh, another young lady from the church we were just talking about that, that had such struggle with the same similar kinds of things and how that God intervened. And God, God, guys, God, God, that's what he does for us. I like what David said in Psalm 27, 13. He said, I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, I would have despaired. However, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm gonna ask Jordan and the band if you guys would come to the front, please, at this moment, at this time. I don't know, again, where you're at or the things that you may be struggling with. I don't know the giants as we wrap up this series of sermons. I don't know the giants that you're struggling with or fighting. Maybe it is in the areas of anxiety, panic, some, some mental anguish and struggles. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's fear, anxiety, panic. I mean, it could be a myriad of things, but I just, it's so important to know I want th that you understand that there is hope today. There, there is hope today. And that in it, as David said, take God out of the equation. Man, I could really despair. But bring God into the equation and there's hope. And today, let's bring God into this equation of whatever that we're facing and let's really see those giants fall. Let's see those things fall. 
some today, I believe, I don't, I, I know many of you by name, but, and, and some of you, I count all as friends. But I, you know, the struggles, I don't know all those things. I don't know what it's like when the door is closed on your home and it's just you and your wife or maybe in your dorm and now it's just you and I don't know the anguish that goes on in your mind. I don't know the addiction that may be hidden from everybody else but it's real and it's a giant in your life. I don't know about the insecurity that may be on the outside that we portray ourselves as so confident and self-assured but inside we're just, we're just crumbling. It's like this big facade that we have to puff up when we go to see people. I don't know those addictions that maybe we bow to every day or every night, and it's just so, so hard. And like Paul, we end up doing the things we don't wanna do and then not doing the things we wanna do. That in all of it, I want you to know there is so much hope today. All of us are so far, we're so broken. All of us fall so short of God's incredible glory. In our imperfection, if we can just invite the spirit of the living God to come in. And the one who created us and fashioned us is the one that can make everything new. And today there is hope for you. There is hope. I love last week as Renee talked about. I love this week as Stefan talked about. One of the similarities they talked about is the value of community. And that really walking through those times is next to impossible without community. And so, guys, welcome to the family. We're not perfect, are we? We're very imperfect. But we come together in, in our struggles or whatever it may be and say, let's just love, let's just love Jesus. Let's love him more. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I want to just take a moment to bow. And at this moment, Crookston, you guys can go your own way. We'll take some time just to think here and meditate as well. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us today, oh God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name to us. Lord, I pray that the enemies, Lord, these giants that have loomed us so large, Lord, we would help it to put it in proper perspective. And today we intentionally invite you into our lives, oh God. We intentionally invite you in, oh God. Thank you so very, very much, oh God. We want to see you in this equation of life. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay connected with us, visit us on our website or check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hello Freedom Church. Have a great week.